0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Revealed, a study of Jesus in the Old Testament. Our hope is that our eyes will be open to see that all scripture points to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. I want to show you a picture from August 21st, 1999. There it is. I want you to notice two things about this picture. Number one, I did in fact have hair. (laughs) And number two, this is the day uh, that Peggy, my wife and I, stood facing each other, and we did what all people do when they get married, which is we said our vows to one another. We made a commitment to one another. We said things that we are going to uphold as we enter into this relationship. The word we might use for this that we don't use so much anymore today is on this day, Peggy and I entered into a covenant with each other. Now, I think you've probably heard the word covenant before, but I wonder if today we've lost just how significant of a word this really is, especially the way the Bible understands it. So let's define it right up front. If you're using message notes, the word covenant means guarantee, commitment, pledge, or promise. Covenant is a guarantee, a commitment, a pledge, or a promise. And in the Bible covenants are one of the primary ways that God reveals himself to his people. It's like a marriage vow. It is a pledge, a promise that God gives to people on how he is going to relate to them and explains how we in turn can relate to God. As one person says, when God makes a covenant, he reveals his own job description and then signs it. What that means is that in almost every case, God approaches a covenant partner. He lays out his job description and he says, this is how I'm going to work for you. With all my strength, with all my heart, with all my love. If you will love me as I am, cling to me and trust me to keep my word. Now, you're probably familiar with some of the covenants that God makes in the Bible. The first covenant God makes is with Noah when he promises that he will never again flood the earth. Not too far after that, God makes a covenant with a man named Abram, who he later renames Abraham. We're going to have a chance to look at that covenant in a few weeks in this series, but that has huge ramifications for us still today. After the Exodus, when God leads the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai. And through Moses, he enters into a covenant with the people of Israel saying, if you obey the laws that I'm about to set before you today, I will bless you. I will prosper you in the land that I am bringing you to. Later in history, God makes a covenant with King David, which is the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at together this morning. And then, of course, as people who believe that Christ is Messiah, we know that God came once again and entered into a covenant with us through his blood. A new covenant that we'll have a chance to remember at the end of this service together as we take communion. All of these covenants give us a clear glimpse into the heart of God, and they give us a glimpse into God's redemptive plan for human beings. So I'm not exaggerating when I say that this morning, uh, the chapter we're going to be looking at together is one of the most important in the Bible. There is a promise that God makes to David in this chapter that should be understood in terms on par as the covenants he made with Moses and the covenant he made with Abraham, and it still has good news for us today as New Testament believers. So if you would, I invite you to turn to this covenant, and you can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you don't have your own Bible, we always encourage you to grab one of the Bibles in the seat rack Uh, underneath you there. We should have some scattered around here, and you can find 2 Samuel on page 212 of those black Bibles. And we always want to say this as well, if you don't own your own Bible, we'd love for you to grab that black Bible and take that home with you as our gift. As you're turning there, let me just remind you or explain to you what we're doing this summer as a church. As you can see from the banners, we are in a series as a church this summer called Revealed. And we are doing this series so that our eyes may be open to see that all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. This is something Jesus himself explained to his disciples after the resurrection. There's no such thing as... The Old Testament and New Testament, it's all one testament. It's all one story. In fact, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with two of his disciples after his resurrection, and he says this to them, and this is really the heart of why we're doing this series. In Luke 24, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And this is the verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, we don't know everything for sure Jesus explained to them that day. But what we're doing this summer is we're taking a look at, at least some of the scriptures that point to Jesus being the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. And this morning, we are looking at this scripture in 2 Samuel 7. Now, let me just give you a warning. Some of the scriptures we're looking at are kind of uh, short passages that have a direct implication in the New Testament. Others of them, like the one this morning, are gigantic Like the theme we're looking at this morning about Jesus fulfilling this covenant, it's huge. So I'm just going to warn you, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture together. So buckle up. It's going to be fun. I hope you have your Bible ready. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7 starting in verse 1. It says this, after the king was settled in his palace, and again we're speaking of King David, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Let's pause here. 2 Samuel 7 is describing a time in Israel's history after King David had gone to numerous battles and numerous wars. Finally, they have rest and peace. And so the scene picks up in 2 Samuel 7 with David enjoying some of that rest. In chapter 6, David had brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. And in chapter 7, we see here David reflecting and realizing that the time has come for him to do what any self-respecting king should do, build a house for his God. Now notice in these verses how he recognizes there's a big contrast between his house and the Lord's house. In fact, that word house is all throughout this chapter. While the human king is living in a palace, the Ark of God, which we learned last week if you were here from Pastor Brian, is the symbolic dwelling place of God, remains in a mere tent. And so to David's thinking, the time is right to build a permanent house for the Ark of God. And Nathan, who is the prophet at this time, God's spokesperson, says to David, go ahead and do what you plan to do. But we pick it up in verse 4. Look at God's response That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build a house, me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built a house, me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies so listen God objects to David's plan here basically saying do you really think that you can t- contain me in a temp- in a structure eventually when the temple is built the same thing is said God cannot be ta- contained in a building and besides that he says to David you're not going to be the person to build this for me we learn later the reason for that is David has just shed too much blood in wars but the promise is one of his sons will build the temple Now, by the way, I could do a whole message just on these verses here because there's some great stuff here, right? I mean, how many of us can relate to David where we want to do something good? We want to do something good for God. We want to contribute to his causes. We want to build something for him. We have good desires, and yet what we learn in this passage is if those desires aren't in alignment with God's will and God's timing— then we need to set that aside. And that's exactly what David does here. I could learn a lot from David. I don't know about you. I think of Moses who knew that he was called to lead the people out of Israel and he took matters into his own hands. And it took God 40 years in the wilderness to teach him. That wasn't the way to go about that. I think of just this week in my own life, for two years, I have tried to get a ministry started here in our church. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. I couldn't understand why on earth we couldn't get this thing going. And just this week, I'm reminded, it's not my time. It's not my time. Sometimes we need to set aside the good things we think we can do for the Lord and his kingdom. Now, what's amazing about this story is that if you see it already here, we're going to get more into it. God basically takes David's desire and flips it upside down. How good is our God? How good is our God? Instead of David building a house for God, we learn that God is going to build a permanent house or a kingdom for David. And that's where this covenant comes in. Look at the rest of the passage, starting in verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Now read verse 16 on your notes with me. It says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now, at first glance, you got to admit, these verses are a little bit confusing, but they don't need to be because they're an example of many in the Old Testament of what we would call a dual or a double prophecy. As you can see here, there's two prophecies going on. I've always used, like, this example. Think about any of you wearing bifocal glasses right now? Nobody. Congratulations to all of you here. (laughs) Bifocal glasses, as you know, help you see both near and far. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, there are prophecies that help us see both near and both far. And this is an example of one of them. In these verses, God is clearly promising, covenanting with David that one of his offspring, one of his sons, who we will learn is Solomon, is going to reign in David's place and he'll be the one to build a house for God. But We also see in verse 14 that if this son walks away from the covenant that God is making here, he will be punished. But because this is a covenant, God says that his love will never be taken away from the line of David. That this promise to David will endure forever. Now, we know the rest of the story. I'm going to give like a five-minute Thousand-year history of what happens after this promise. We learn that Solomon does, in fact, build the temple for God, but we also learn that God's warning comes true. Solomon walks away from God. He begins to marry foreign women and begins to worship foreign gods, and this continues throughout his line. In fact, if you've ever read through the books of Kings or Chronicles in your Bible, it gets downright depressing, doesn't it? Every once in a while, there's a good king who turns his heart to the Lord. But overall, the kings and the people of Israel are moving further and further away from God. They are breaking the covenant that God has made with them. God tries to warn them. He sends them prophets again and again, but they refuse to listen. So eventually what takes place is the kingdom is broken into two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And again, God sends prophets to both of these kingdoms. But finally, in 722 BC, God sends the Assyrians and they destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And then God sends the Babylonians in 586 BC and David's kingdom is destroyed. The question, if we were living back then, would certainly be, has God broken his promise to us? What what does all this mean? How could our kingdom be destroyed? Well, one thing we know about God is that he never breaks his promises. His covenants are unconditional. And so as time begins to pass, as the people are scattered throughout the world, God raises up more prophets and they begin to speak of a future son a future son of David who would one day come and fulfill the promise in a way that Solomon could not. Listen, if God is true to his word and God is always true to his word, if he's stuck by his job description that he gives here in 2 Samuel 7, his vow that he makes, he will one day raise up a righteous, obedient son of David to take the throne and accomplish what these sons of David, starting with Solomon, could not accomplish. In fact, The expectation of this son began to grow as time went on. And God, through the prophets, began to give the people glimpses of who this son might be, beginning in the psalm. So let's just spend some time leading our way up to the fulfillment of this prophecy. We see it in Psalm 89, which is written well after the time of David. It's written, I will not violate my covenant, God says. Or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness. And I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever. And his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon. The faithful, in the, the faithful witness in the sky. Then God sends prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And did you know every single one of them? Every single one of them spoke of this covenant promise God had made with David looking forward to a future day when he would fulfill it. For example, Ezekiel writes this, My servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. What a prophet later jeremiah would have a vision as well and he would say these words the days are coming declares the lord when i will raise up for david a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land in his days judah will be saved and israel will live in safety this is the name by which he will be called the lord our righteous savior but it was isaiah It was Isaiah who had the clearest vision of all and he was able to identify this future son of David not merely as a human being but as God himself. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on whose throne? David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The anticipation is growing. Picture kids waiting for Christmas morning. When, oh Lord, are you going to fulfill your promise? But then, after Malachi, there is four Hundred years of total silence from heaven. Do you know that? Between Malachi and Matthew, no word from God. No prophet. And so again, I put myself in their shoes and I go, what is going on here? Has God forgotten us? Has he forgotten the covenant that he's made with his servant David? And all of that brings us to Luke chapter 1. When the angel Gabriel is sent to a young virgin by the name of Mary... And he speaks these incredible words to her. I've printed on your notes. Would you read them out loud with me there? It says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You're falling on your notes, friends. In Jesus, God fulfills his covenant with David. In Jesus, God fulfills his covenant with David. Beyond any shadow of a doubt, the Bible is teaching us here that the promise God made to David a thousand years before this is being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. He is revealed. Listen, as the son of David, we know he comes from the line of David. And yet... As Isaiah foresaw, he is also the Lord of David, the son of David and the Lord of David, the Lord who will sit upon the throne forever as king. Now, as we learned in our series in Luke last year, Jesus' kingdom, the one that he brought, it's different than the kingdom that the Jews were expecting. The Jews were expecting this son of David to come and establish them as a mighty nation once again, weren't they? They were ready for him to come and kick out those Romans so that they could become the political nation that they thought they were supposed to be. But Jesus didn't come to establish a political kingdom. His purpose was much bigger than that. He came to establish a kingdom here on earth that would not just include the people of Israel, but it would include people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that his kingdom was so much bigger than what they expected Listen, I don't think David could have imagined this no matter how strong his bifocal lenses were. In this day in 2 Samuel 7, do you? In fact, this was so hard for the people to imagine that the early church debated whether or not Gentiles, and who are Gentiles, anybody who's not. So that's pretty much most of us in this room, I'm guessing. Anybody who's not Jewish, whether we really were invited into the kingdom of this king. They were debating this. It got so heated that in Acts 15, they called together a council of all the people and they're debating this. At one point, Peter gets up and he explains, listen, the spirit of God is resting on the Gentiles. What else do you need to know? Paul and Barnabas get up and say, I don't know what to tell you as we preach. They're turning to Jesus as king. And so finally, James, who was the leader of the early church, thinking back to the covenant that God made in 2 Samuel 7 says, God's kingdom was so much bigger than we realized. As the Gentiles respond, welcome them in. Welcome them in to the family of God. This means that when God said to David in 2 Samuel seven sixteen, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Listen, he had a house in mind, a kingdom in mind that's so much greater than David could have ever imagined. His kingdom is a kingdom for all people over all time. If you're falling on your notes, this kingdom includes all people who declare Jesus as king. This kingdom includes all people who declare Jesus as king. In other words, you know, how do we see this revealed? How do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? Don't miss this this morning. When God makes a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, that applies to us still today. We are invited into this covenant. So, the question remaining for us this morning is what does it look like for us to join this king and his kingdom? I mean, if this is all true, how do we respond to him? As Americans, I'm just going to say it, we don't really understand what it means to live in a kingdom under the authority of a king, do we? We like democracy. But the kingdom of God is not a democracy. There is one king, and he sits upon the throne. And like any kingdoms, there's responses that we are to make to this king. So let's close this morning by talking about three responses that we make to the king and his kingdom. First, we submit to the king. We submit to the king by giving him authority over my life. I submit to the king by giving him authority over my life. Listen, by definition... A king is a ruler, right? Another word for a ruler is a lord. And if someone is lord, that means I line my life up according to what they say. I submit to their rule and to their authority. And this is exactly what it means to be a Christian. Don't let anybody fool you otherwise. It means I, at some point in my life... I have to come to the conclusion that I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to submit to the authority of King Jesus. I will give him my mind, my emotions, my will and my desires. This is where this text hits home for us. If Jesus is really the eternal king, your only response can be submission to him. That is a prerequisite. A prerequisite for knowing the king. I have to abandon this is really hard for me. I don't know about you. I have to abandon my kingdom. I have to abandon my throne and I love to sit on my throne and I have to submit it to him and say all authority in my life now belongs to you. The very first words in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be blessed, to be poor in spirit simply means you at some point in your life have come to the conclusion that apart from Jesus Christ, I cannot save myself. No person can enter God's kingdom without bending his or her knee to the throne of Jesus Christ and giving him supreme authority. I showed this picture a couple months ago, but it's appropriate here. You have two options when it comes to Jesus, period. You got this one, where you sit on the throne and you kind of say, oh, maybe you can be a part of my life. Or here's the option the Bible talks about. He is the king and he sits on the throne. And I submit to him. I hate that word submit, don't you? It goes against everything in me. And yet, that's what he's asking us to do. How do I learn to submit? Well, friends, that's why we have that book that's hopefully in your lap right now. He tells us everything we need to know about how to submit to his rule and authority in this kingdom. It's called the Bible. Right? It's called the Bible. For example, in this kingdom, God calls us to personal holiness. We know this. He says, don't live according to the patterns of this world. Live according to the pattern of my kingdom. He says, be holy as I am holy. He says in Ephesians 4, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Well, what does that look like? Well, a lot of the New Testament addresses that. For example, I'll give you an area in my life where I had a difficult time submitting for a long time. God says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, including gossiping and slander, but that's fun. And in high school, I'll just tell you, I talked poorly about people behind their backs a lot. But I realized if I was going to submit to this king and his authority, I had to take his word seriously. And so I began to work on that, and that's just it it's a process. It's a process. It's an everyday submitting to his will. Second response is that we are to serve the king by committing to advancing his causes. We are to serve the king by committing to advancing his causes. Now again, just picture that you're in a kingdom. If the king was deciding to go to war and said, I need all the people to join me who are able, do you think you'd have a choice in that matter? Now you're going to war. There's no questions asked. Well, guess what? Jesus has called us to action. King Jesus has called us to a war. It's a war against the kingdom of Satan and the powers of this world. What are we fighting for? Well, he makes this very clear again and again. My favorite example is when he gets up in his hometown synagogue and he speaks these words from the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You want to know the agenda of the king? There you go. That's his agenda. And he calls us to join him in it. I just got to say, too often I think the church, and I mean our church particularly, our kind of church, we focus so much on the idea of sharing our faith as bringing the kingdom to others, but Jesus never separated both the physical manifestation of the kingdom with the spiritual manifestation of the kingdom. So we are to be a both and people. We fight for things like social justice, for the poor, for the causes of the least of these we take God's kingdom flag and we plant it in areas in this world where darkness is ruling and reigning. And yes, we set the captives free, captives who are captive to their sin. We're a both-and church because Jesus is a both-and king. So our mission becomes Jesus' mission. We work of healing, liberation, freeing slaves, physical and spiritual, loosening the bonds of debt, bringing good news to the poor, declaring the year of the Lord's favor. The people of his kingdom bring physical wholeness and spiritual wholeness. We take up the causes of the king in his kingdom in this world are you engaged in that is christianity coming to church on sunday morning or is it about what happens the other six days as we leave these doors finally the third response we make to this king in his kingdom is worship the king worship the king for including me in his kingdom We didn't finish 2 Samuel 7, but that's exactly what David's response was after he made this promise. In just a bit, actually, we're gonna hear the rest of this passage spoken to us uh, from Steve Larson as we prepare our hearts for communion. What a great way for us to do that. But David, after hearing this commitment God makes to him, can't help but burst out in a prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude for just as God invited David into a covenant, though, he is inviting you into a covenant right now. And your life, too, can be a life of worship because he has guaranteed this covenant with his blood. As the author of Hebrews said in chapter 12, verse 28, can we read this out loud on the screen there? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Like what else can we do? The promise he made to David a thousand years before Jesus came is your promise today. What else can we do but worship this king and his kingdom? Before we do that, let me close with an invitation. This is God's invitation, not my invitation. It's... From Isaiah 55, verses one through three. God says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come, listen, that you may live. And here it is. Here's his invitation to you this morning. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to who? David. The same covenant I made with him. I extend to you. Just come to me empty handed and hungry willing to receive what I want to give you, and then I will write a job description on your heart that will never, ever go away. I will be faithful and true to you for all eternity. This is the same invitation Jesus gives to all people at the very last chapter of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says these words, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And then he gives this invitation to you this morning. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Will you come to the son of David? Will you come to the king of kings? Will you enter into a covenant relationship with him and guarantee a place at his banquet table both now and forevermore? This is the invitation of God that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you're following on your notes, the question for you this morning is, will I join in covenant with the eternal King? Will I join in covenant with the eternal King? And I'll just say, if you have done that, the question for us this morning is, will we fulfill our side of the covenant? Will we submit to him and serve him and worship him in the way he deserves. Let's pray. Lord, how great and appropriate it is that we get to celebrate communion here in just a minute. For in communion, we are reminded of the covenant love that you poured out for us. That the promise you made to David was fulfilled in Jesus Christ in an unexpected way that you would set up a kingdom where you would invite all people, every tribe, every nation, every tongue into relationship with you. But it costs you, it costs you everything. So we respond this morning as we can only respond. We submit to you. And if there's any area in our life right now where we know we're not giving you authority, help us to be honest about that as these trays are passed. Help us to confess, because in confession, we find forgiveness. We serve you. Help us to remember that we are not just Sunday morning Christians, but you call each of us to advance your causes in this world, Monday through Sunday. And that is both by sharing the good news, but also engaging in this world in issues who people can't engage for themselves. And Lord, we worship you. We worship you. It's why we gather here. It's what we're doing here right now. We're acknowledging that you are king and you deserve all of our worship. If there's anyone here this morning who has not entered into this relationship with you, oh God, as we heard your invitation from scripture, may they come to you and may they drink from the waters you offer and may they find life everlasting. Even now they can do that. Amen. Amen.
1: Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like. Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There's no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. May your name be spoken so that everyone will say, the Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. Oh God, I've been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings, For you are God, your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to your servant. May it please you to bless this house so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, it is an eternal blessing.